Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm. Coming up on this Monday edition, big, big storms over the weekend, uh, pretty amazing hitting the east and the midwest and uh, lots of uh, snow and ice and so forth we'll look at some of the details about that also a big interview over the weekend uh, george stephanopoulos talking to james comey a couple of excerpts uh, talk about from that and that's part of the trump daily radio show as well and also we'll take a look at that new u.s budget it's huge that and more this edition of trumpet radio live This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us live on Trumpet Radio Live 101.3 KPCG. And we're online at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. And uh, any emails you'd like to send, you can send those to comments at kpcg.fm. We're happy to look at those for you. Dwight Falk with you here today, along with Grant Turgeon. Fresh off of a uh, Thunder playoff win over the weekend. So uh, it's always exciting. One being up one zero is better than being down zero to one. <laughs> that's that's very true, and I was pretty worried that they would be down zero to one. So I'm glad to see that they flipped the switch. I guess to to play better in the playoffs. Yeah, they played played well. So it's uh that's that time of year, spring. Uh, I guess NBA playoffs, baseball season has started. So there's sports that are happening out there, and uh, lots of weird weather too over the weekend. You expect it to be a little more uh, towards the spring side of things, but uh, major storms. Uh, storms unleashed tornadoes in the U.S. East, record snow in the Midwest. Just a lot of snow. Uh, in Michigan, they say snowfall was expected to reach about 18 inches in some areas. Quite a few homes without power, of course, and businesses, lots of ice. Large areas of Detroit were without power. Customers were not expected to have it back until uh, last night, so they've been working on that. And uh, the worst of the snow was focused in the upper Great Lakes, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Good old Green Bay there, hoping to, uh, you know, get into spring after a winter. And (laughs) lo and behold, nay, 23.2 inches of snow fell as of a Sunday afternoon. So, you know, two feet just about of snow. And uh, I don't know exactly, you know, what condition it it is up there right now. But what's frustrating about that when you live in some of those areas, uh, not only a lot of snow in the spring, which is frustrating, but the fact that it falls on Sunday and then they plow it off and then you go to school the next day. Right. Why couldn't it fall on Monday <laughs> when you're in school? So a lot of times that would happen. You get a lot of snow, but as long as they had time to plow it, you'd still be going on Monday. Yeah, there were a lot of uh, pictures and videos of the the various states where these storms were taking place and it almost gave you the impression that man it was just getting every everywhere in the country was getting hit you just see it from a dozen or more states that are getting hit at the same time uh it's pretty unusual to see that especially in april uh especially like you said when people are getting their hopes up for maybe at least a a snow day if you're going to have all these snow issues in april yeah, and you get, um, you know, plants are starting to sort of grow and different things, and birds come back, and then all of a sudden all this snow, everyone's confused. Like, I thought it was springtime. Um, and they said the Twin, Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, they they uh, 
Uh, the April monthly record for snowfall of 21.8 inches was surpassed on Saturday, so they set a record there. There was tornadoes in different areas. Uh, and then here in Oklahoma City, we had some really cold temperatures over the weekend. We, you know, we went from being in the 80s last week to oh, lows in the 20s. So uh, really quite cold over the weekend. It felt it felt particularly cold. I don't know if it was just because of the extreme shift in, in the temperatures, but I felt colder than normal for being 30, 30 some degrees. And the wind was cold coming out of the north, so it was a pretty miserable weekend in some ways. Even yesterday was pretty deceptive when it got up to like 50 or so, but it was perfectly sunny outside so when you step outside it's a lot colder than you're expecting mm-hmm. yeah it's uh interesting i was watching the weather on friday for the local area here and they were talking about a, a lot of rain coming which we need we need rain but they were talking about a lot of rain coming uh, this like friday and i thought well, how can you project so far ahead usually when they project that far ahead it's not right <laughs> so i i hesitate to say anything because i haven't seen the weather since but they were saying you know, like two inches of rain coming. So I don't know if that's still in the works, but um, but just looking at the different, like there are little lake out the window here and other places, it's pretty dry. The water's dropped quite a bit. And it's not officially spring yet, is it? Isn't that more toward the end of the, maybe in a few days, right? You're probably right. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I, I never know the official day, but it's always later than I thought it would be. Like right. April 20th or something like that, maybe. Uh, so possibly that's why so many places are having cold temperatures yet. It's like, it's like the, the the weather knows that it's not officially spring, and they're just going to keep hitting us with winter until it happens. Uh, March 20th. March 20th. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I was thinking April 20th because yeah. of how cold it was. So, yeah, it's, still. it fooled you. I the, know. The weather fooled you as well. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's global warming, it's climate change, you know, whatever they say. Yeah, Do you see that story <laughs> over the weekend where that this lawyer uh, killed himself, set himself on fire? And it was here in, I think it was in New York or something. And he's, he left a note behind saying he did it for to protest climate change by burning himself as fossil fuel. Mm. So actually that would hurt the environment, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's quite contradictory there. <laughs> what a weird, weird thing to do. So he yeah. was involved in some odd cases as a lawyer, but that was his, he decided to do that, which is shocking. And well, strange. that's how the Arab Spring started, someone yeah. lighting themselves on fire in the Middle East. That's so. right. Uh, I guess sometimes it can have a pretty big impact, just one person doing that. Yeah, it's, it's just strange, strange stuff. Uh, the, because the weather was so uh, bad and windy and violent, a lot of flights had problems. This is from the Daily Mail. It says, passengers scream and cry and at least one vomits, poor person, <laughs> during terrifying Southwest Airlines plane landing in severe weather. That was uh, Southwest Airlines Flight 3461 from Fort Lauderdale to New Orleans. As the flight... Approach landing, severe weather forced pilot to reroute the plane. Passengers were screaming, crying, and then somebody got sick because the plane was just all over, swaying. Uh, thunderstorms, tornado watches, and strong winds were pounding the area, and the plane made a refueling stop in Panama City, Florida. The reason uh, this caught my attention was we had a few people coming back in, flying back into this area uh, Friday as well including uh, Andrew Loker, who hosts the Trumpet Daily Radio Show at times and, and does a few other things there. And he was saying that um, they had to reroute them as well. They had to fly to Wichita. They couldn't land in Oklahoma City because mm. of how windy it was. So they had to wait there for a while, and the pilot did say, like, this is going to be rough, so you might want to get your air sickness bag, <laughs> which you never want to hear that. <laughs> and then, uh, then when they finally did come and land in Oklahoma City, he said when they came down, the plane was actually 
kind of sideways coming down on the runway and then it flipped or yeah. Yeah, it didn't flip, but you know what I mean? It, it, they moved it to where mm-hmm. it was going the right direction. So, uh, really some difficult flying conditions are over the weekend. Yeah. I've experienced that once or twice where either it's raining or the, the runway is slick from it raining recently. And you almost do feel the the tires trying as hard as they can to catch onto the pavement. It's a pretty scary feeling just to know that, well, if it's not done perfectly, you could skid right off the runway, and who knows what happens next. And even even coming in for landing, sometimes it is it is pretty rough. Like you can almost feel wind like shifting the plane. I don't know if it actually is, but it, it definitely feels like that sometimes. Yeah, there's there's times where I've taken off in pretty windy weather. And, or, or you kind of fly up through a s- bit of a storm and the plane's getting rocked around. And, you you know, you kind of just look around at the the staff on the plane, like the, the the flight attendants, I guess, are the people you see. And you just I try to gauge their expression, like, is this normal? Is this okay? I, I'm assuming we're fine here. <laughs> do we want to do this? <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> somebody was telling me, too, that there was a flight recently. Maybe I don't know if they were on it or if they read about it, but where, <laughs> where it was rough and the, the, the flight attendant was kind of losing it. That doesn't help the, the passengers when, when they're freaking out. <laughs> so you got to keep it cool, I guess. Well, that's when you know it's really bad because probably a lot of them are actually taught not to give away if it is really dangerous. Yeah. They're, they're taught to be calm even when maybe they shouldn't be. So if it's so bad that they can't even stick to that training, you know that there might be some trouble coming. Yeah, there's a there was a story too. I didn't read all the details, but the somebody tried to take over a flight with a fountain pen. They tried to take somebody hostage. Come so on. now you won't be able to have pens on your on the plane. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's crazy. Uh, we had talked a little bit just on Friday about this E. coli outbreak in the U.S. That was in I think about six states. Now it's in eleven states. And it's linked to chopped romaine lettuce, so uh, you may just want to. So they ch- they tracked it down. They huh? tracked it down to chopped romaine lettuce. So I guess I'm, I'm, I think you would just have to really be careful. Be careful, maybe not to buy it. But then uh, it's always a good idea to really wash that stuff when you get it and make sure that it's cleaned and everything because uh, things like that can break out and have problems. So if you're buying chopped romaine lettuce, uh, if it's on the grocery list, <laughs> make sure you scrub it when it gets home. Yeah, that's a, a good idea. Yeah, even even just those big heads of lettuce in general, I've always thought they've had like, they have like a lot of folds in there. So <laughs> those are those are important things to wash. And probably when they get cut up, they're they're not necessarily always washed as well as they should be. Yeah, well, this maybe this is a good excuse for kids to tell their parents they don't want to eat the salad no e coli for me say, you know, <laughs> how disappointing if you got really sick with that and then you found out it was from lettuce you know if you were a kid you'd think this was supposed to make me healthy i, I suffered through eating it too. i didn't want to eat it in the first place you made me eat it and now i'm sick so <laughs> you always got to be careful with some of that one of the big stories over the weekend and it's talked about a lot on the trumpet daily radio show today is uh this uh, interview from james comey he uh had his uh his book come out <laughs> which uh, looks to be quite the dud. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll sell a lot. I don't know. But it just seems, it seems like a, oh, like a something that a high school kid would write, just making fun of people, or you know, there's not there's not a lot of substance to it apparently. Anyway, this is some of the transcript from ABC, and uh, I just thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, James Comey was saying that the uh, truth, truth is one of the central values of our country. The tr- the, the matter of truth. And then George Stephanopoulos said, uh, are we losing it? Are we losing truth in this country? James Comey said, I think we are in part, but I think the strength of this country is that we're going to outlast it. 
that there will be damage to the norm, but I liken President Trump in the book to a forest fire. Going to do tremendous damage, going to damage those important norms, but a forest fire gives healthy things a chance to grow, and that uh, had no chance before that fire. So it's kind of a weird analogy. but And he doesn't give any specifics of why he thinks the norm is going to be damaged or anything like that. But then Stephanopoulos says, well, how do we put it out? <laughs> Which I thought, well, what are you talking about? Like, you've got to put this, this fire out. You've got to get rid of this guy. But for what? He's talking about truth. And I just think, well, I mean, it seems like President Trump's actually been the most truthful of anybody. I think that's why he got elected, because he just said what people wanted. People, you know, they wanted somebody to finally say it. So, again, you know, not to get too political with it, but I just just the issue of truth. You've got the media talking about truth and this former FBI guy, and neither one of them seem to be very truthful in their dealings. Yeah, it's extremely hypocritical for them to be talking about how important truth is when they're playing an active part in destroying truth in this country. There is a vicious war against truth right now, and these high-ranking law enforcement officials and the media are definitely a part of that. It's almost astounding just to hear them talk about it like it's President Trump's fault, not even to bring up the fact that uh, James Comey, who's supposed to be an unbiased law enforcement official, is comparing the president to a forest fire. Is there any way that that kind of bias might have shaded some of his dealings with the president? Is there any way that he might not have briefed him fully uh, during certain conversations if he thought the president was that much of a threat to the country? Yeah, that's a great point. And just uh, Comey's response here to George Stephanopoulos, how do we put it out? How do we deal with the president? He says, we put it out in two ways. We put it out first by not becoming numb to the fact that the truth is being assailed every day. It, it, that's true, it is. <laughs> He says, by not deciding that it's just too much to pay attention to because that's the path to losing truth as a central value in this country. So he's talking about truth being the central value in the United States. He says, so all of us have to constantly be involved and call it out when we see the truth endangered, when we see lying. And then next, he says, we need to get involved. The American people need to stand up in the public square and in the voting booth and say, look, we disagree about an awful lot, but we have in common something that matters enormously to this country, and our leaders must reflect those values. Well, um, there's not a lot of truth in the U.S. right now, unfortunately, especially from the media and from a lot of politicians. And he says the American people need to, you know, stand up in the voting booth. They did, and they voted in President Trump. So what does he think happened here? I, I just don't understand where the disconnect is, because... He's telling people to stand up, and then he says, you know, our leaders must reflect values. Well, what what values? What values do we hold in the United States? Uh, Now, he says truth is a value, but even there, that's being manipulated. And then uh, why can't they just accept the fact that people did exactly what he said? They went and voted their values, good, bad, or otherwise, and they voted for President Trump. Well, that's what you hear a lot of angry leftists saying right now is that we need to stand up in the voting booth, make our leaders pay for their transgressions by voting them out of office. That's always what a leftist is saying after there just was an election. (laughs) There's still more than two years before there is another presidential election. So obviously they have a long time to wait. And in the meantime, they're trying to get the president impeached or trying to bring him down in some kind of huge investigation where the origins of that investigation are highly questionable. Uh, They just are basically throwing a tantrum because the 
actual election didn't play out the way they wanted it to. You can't just have another election right now <laughs> because you don't like how right. the last one played out. And yet that's how they talk as if that's even a possibility. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, it makes me think, too, about back in uh, the Civil War. I mean, President Lincoln was not popular uh, at the time, and the war wasn't going well for some time for the uh, for the North. And there was a lot of, you know, grumbling about things. And but but some of the, the leaders in Congress and other places, they said, you know, we don't care much for this president. We don't think he's doing that good of a job, but he's in office for another two years or whatever it was at the time when they made the comments. And they said, so we need to work to really strengthen everything around him so that we can have a successful government, even though we personally don't care for him or what he's doing. What a different attitude than what we see today. I mean, there's always been different opinions and different thoughts, but just just the fact that they, even though they didn't agree with uh, Mr. Lincoln personally, they would work to support the office and the going forward as a nation, whereas today you don't see anything like that. No, exactly. Right now it's just basically a battle of two different Americas, and that's why you see people on the left at this time basically rejoicing anytime Mr. Trump fires a cabinet member and replaces him or anytime some material comes out about the president's past, they're all excited about those things and they openly talk about resistance and fighting against every uh, piece of an agenda that the president tries to implement. It's never about maybe working together to try to make some progress during this time because really fundamentally the two sides can't agree on what progress is that's the problem the two sides are so different that really they are just at war yeah and they can't agree on what truth is <clears throat> he talks about truth and they can't agree on that one other little part and it's a long interview and again it's covered very well in the trumpet daily today but i just thought these couple things were interested interesting uh, there was another question about um, hillary clinton and uh, destroying old uh, blackberries phones and wiping servers and so forth and uh, James Comey said this. He said, we could never establish, develop the evidence. And he says, the evidence is a different thing from what people say. So he's really making this this a point here about, well, you need evidence, though. And it can't just be like word of mouth or what people said or opinion. you got to have evidence. And yet his entire book basically is not evidence, right? Or, or any, any of these ongoing investigations, they have not found any evidence. It's all hearsay. So he's kind of speaking out of both sides of his mouth. <laughs> oh, well, we didn't do anything in that case because, boy, you really need good evidence. But then, you know, going after the current president, well, it's all hearsay, and, but, but, you know, that's good enough. So which one is it? You need evidence? You, need, well, you know, it's, it's kind of both sides of the mouth. Exactly, because he did use a, a Russian pornography propaganda document to actually justify an investigation against the president, and that document was paid for by Hillary Clinton. So... Obviously, those are that's a pack of lies in that document, yet it was somehow deemed worthy. It was somehow deemed as truth in James Comey's definition of truth. And in, me, in, the, mean, in the meantime, with Hillary Clinton, it, those are common facts that she destroyed phones and wiped servers. How do you need more evidence than that? What, what kind of admission of guilt is that when you are going to those kinds of extremes to bury all evidence against you? And what he gets into, if you read the whole transcript, which is long, or if you watch the interview and he's talking about some of these past cases and uh, talking about Petraeus and, and that case and everything, and he, he gets into talking about how, well, 
you know, it's not just a matter of if somebody did something wrong. Did they know they were doing it wrong? And I thought, well, you know, that that's it's starting to get really weird when you start trying to reason around right and wrong that way. You know, it's okay to do something wrong as long as you didn't know it was wrong. I mean, <laughs> is that what the law says? It, it's just really interesting the way they kind of mm, twist things based upon how they want the outcome to to uh, play out. So. Anyway, there's a lot more about it on the Trump Daily Radio Show today, a lot more details about that. But I just thought the the fact that he really said the central, you know, important issue in the United States is truth. And then, but the people talking about it aren't talking about truth. And it's, then it's whose truth. And then he, he says, well, people need to stand up and vote. But they already did. And then just to highlight that point, the presidential tracking poll says, this is the Rasmussen Reports daily presidential tracking poll for today, 51% of the uh, of U.S. voters approve of President Trump's job performance. So, I mean. Would they win an election if they had another one today, like they're always talking about? Because it seems like that's really their entire solution right now. They have to grind everything to a halt in the entire country until their favored president is in power. Well, it looks like he might be heading toward another four years if they have another election. So maybe they should stop complaining and start presenting some ideas. I mean, even with uh, talking about truth and lies, people are not going to agree with James Comey's definition and basically allowing Hillary Clinton, who was the secretary of state to just claim like that she was ignorant of all these crimes she was committing if anyone should know better, it's someone who is a high-ranking official in the government. They're drilled in these types of protocol all the time. They know exactly what they should be doing with their emails, what the different markings on their emails mean. Uh, and and so for, for him to basically admit that Hillary Clinton did things wrong, but she just didn't know, it's hard for a lot of people to hear that because anyone else who did those same exact things that she did, despite having less training, would have been put in prison for it. So who is he talking to? Who is he trying to convince? The more that he talks, the more he hurts the cause of the Democrats. Yeah, he really does. Because even with wiping of the servers and stuff, he's like, well, you know, that's they, they do those things. And that that's to, you know, hide sensitive information. And, you know, they did it. But, you know, uh, so he's saying basically that they did it. But then you look at when she was questioned about it and she said, oh, you mean like with a cloth? Like she had no <laughs> idea what it meant. I mean, it's like, well, which one is it, guys? And then they do. They asked him about his, uh, Mr. Comey, about his personal opinion about Hillary Clinton or whatever. And he's like, well, I don't, you know, I didn't really know her very well. He's like, you know, she's a real hard worker. And he said all these things. And then he's like, but I got most of that from the media. <laughs> I'm like, but you, so you're the head of these like very sensitive investigations and you're just watching TV <laughs> to get your opinion. Like, it did, the whole thing just seems a little bit, a little bit off. I don't know. If you were in that position, wouldn't you have very good insight into who somebody was well he really should and so he's almost doing the same thing uh, claiming ignorance when he shouldn't (laughs) he probably knows a lot of worse things about her that he won't mention because obviously he's outed himself as a political hack he's clearly against the president and so that probably means he supports hillary clinton and is willing to cover for her in a lot of ways we've actually already seen that like the way that he uh reworded uh his his uh, statement so that it wasn't an investigation of Hillary Clinton. It was just a matter. It was just a matter, like an item on the grocery list that you have to pick up that day. It was just a matter. It doesn't, it's not even important. Uh, nothing criminal involved. Don't even look at it. Don't even worry about it. Yeah. He said some other things in there too, that were 
just it was just really interesting in the interview where I think he did kind of hurt himself with just uh, talking about some past uh, cases and her that case as well and lots of lots of interesting information there. So the whole transcripts online you can read through it if you're interested if you've got some time and uh, but but it's talked about a lot on the Trump Daily Radio Show and some great points are made there today. So. Make sure you listen for that and check that out uh, coming up here in a bit on KPCG. Well, you know he's probably going to make a lot of money from that book. I mean, even though it has been already dismissed as a little bit of just gossip and him trying to justify his job performance, it's probably going to be a best-selling book. And you see that from a lot of these people who are coming out and attacking this administration. They all get book deals or tour deals or all these. It's pretty lucrative to attack the president right now, which does undermine the credibility of a lot of these different people who are making allegations. Yeah, he, he actually he mentioned one thing uh, when he was talking about going through some of the case. I forget. I think it was the Clinton case. But he said, well, we, were, we, we had to be really careful about how we did it because we wanted to be able to present it like, you know, it was fair and it wasn't, you know, politically motivated and all this. And so... I was just thinking, wow, so your big concern wasn't necessarily the truth. It was that you wanted to present it in a way where people would not think it wasn't the truth. Or, you know, getting into all that sort of thing, and it harkens back to what you are talking about, about the changing wording on things. And, and so there's a lot going on there, but uh, I don't think there's a lot of truth happening. <laughs> and so, and then, too, he makes a point where people need to vote their values, uh, which, again, there's a lot of issues with that because just because it's a personal value doesn't make it right but also uh as we mentioned earlier i mean people did though that's the thing they elected who they wanted so good bad or otherwise that's what the people wanted yeah and he just in general right now appears very confused like he doesn't really know what to say about certain things he's shaky on the definitions of certain words and it it does prove the basic point that the more you get educated in the ways of this world, he's he's extremely highly educated, but he's just kind of into this this cycle of his own reasoning where he's just getting trapped in his own reasoning here and there because he thinks that he knows a lot more than he does. And really, truth is truth. It's a simple thing. You don't have to be educated in a, a great university in the world to know what truth is and what lies are. And yet, he's trying to elevate these definitions or change these definitions because he's smarter than the rest of us yeah manipulating uh the arguments and the words and things but like you said um you people usually end up trapping themselves <laughs> yeah when it gets away from the actual truth of the matter uh here's an interesting note from the wall street journal about food uh is this tomato engineered inside the coming battle over gene edited food the agricultural industry which hopes CRISPR technology will transform the business. Faces opponents who call it GMO 2.0. That's cool. That rhymes. <laughs> you can re- you can remember that pretty easily. It's a new gene editing technology called CRISPR Cas9. One of the most ambitious efforts yet to improve what the what nature created. Oh, really? <laughs> so they're they're have this new ways. They're trying to gene edit foods to make them better, more robust, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the thing you always have to think about with these is, um, uh, but do we know what we're doing? <laughs> you know, now they're looking at it from an evolution, evolutionary standpoint, so they don't think much about it. But you know, we look at it from the perspective that God made things, a biblical perspective. And did He know what He was doing? He made humans. He made food to support the humans. 
did he make mistakes or are we making the mistakes? You look at the diseases in this country, it's pretty clear we're making the mistakes. And and it definitely underscores just the amount of arrogance that we can have as human beings because every time we we see a phrase like that, like improve on what nature created, really that's saying improve on what God created. And we see a movement in this country too where millions of people actually think they're smarter than the founding fathers. I mean, who do we really think we are at this point? Like... <laughs> In this age of modern technology, we've just gotten to the point where we think we're the the greatest people who have ever existed and the greatest life forms that have ever existed, even above God himself. I mean, a lot of a lot of this technology and these innovations are, are basically trying to address problems that we created. Uh, for example, like the Middle East was one of the most green, lush areas in the world. And because of wrong farming and irrigation practices, it's basically a desert now. Um Maybe you can find some great technology to address that problem, but the reality is we created it in the first place. We're not as brilliant as we think. They're going to be trying to push this stuff through to the supermarkets, so it'll be interesting to see. Of course, there, as they point out in this article, there's a lot of people that are going the other direction and saying, we don't want these edited foods, these genetically modified foods. We want actual food. Uh, organic farmers and natural food companies say it may pro- pose risk to human health and permanently alter the environment by spreading beyond farms when they start editing the, the genes of things. It says, although biotech crops have become ubiquitous on U.S. farms, covering more than 90% of corn and soybean acres, consumer mistrust of genetically modified organisms has grown. A 2016 survey by the Pew Research Center showed 39% of U.S. adults believe foods made from GMO crops are less healthy than conventional versions. Yeah, and I think also, too, a lot of people think that, and probably rightly so, that it's affecting our health. Like our bodies aren't made. There's some really good research about, even say milk, you know, everyone has a push that you have to have homogenized milk and so forth. But you look at the way what it does to those those uh, to milk, it, it makes it so your body can't process it right. So what do we see? Well, everyone has an allergy to dairy, right? Mm-hmm. You see all these problems that come from it because they they tried to solve one problem and then they made twenty more problems because they didn't know what they were messing with. And I would think we're gonna have the same situation here, right? And there are some great principles in the Bible about how to uh, go about agriculture and other and other subjects like that i mean one example is just the land sabbath do we ever give our land a break ever uh not not just every seven years but ever do we do we ever once maybe say this this bit of land we can refrain from growing crops in because it's getting worn out the nutrients are disappearing from it we've seen that in our studies so we'll just give this land a break for a little while no you never see it because there's a drive for profits you always have to be making money from every little bit of land that you have and pesticides are a big part of that too genetically modifying things are a part of that they're trying to produce more produce more produce more without really considering the health detriments to that and that's part of the big push for it is that people say you know we want to combat this growing or we want to be able to feed this growing population of humanity because the population is getting so big so we need more food so they're coming at it from maybe a noble idea on some level but then like you said there's a lot of there's a lot of profit to doing that as well 
Sales of products made without GMOs has has increased a lot, though, to twenty five point five billion in twenty seventeen, from three hundred forty nine million in twenty ten, because people really want actual food. Um, and so they're saying that this gene editing is just GMO two Some scientists disagree. So you have a scientific battle, and you've got people kind of on both sides of it. Agricultural industry officials say new methods such as CRISPR talon and zinc finger <laughs> I don't want anything that was made by zinc finger uh, <laughs> uh, nucleuses are different fundamentally different from the biotechnology techniques pioneered in the 1980s by companies such as Monsanto they say these older techniques generally involve adding in genes from outside species including bacteria viruses and other plants inserting such genes enables crops to survive herbicide sprays and repel destructive bugs but the new gene editing technologies enable scientists to achieve some of the same effects by altering the plant's own DNA without inserting new genes. With CRISPR-Cas9, the most widely used system, scientists can program genetic guides to target a location along the plant's DNA. Stick with me here. <laughs> where the Cas9 proteins cut the DNA, the cells change the DNA sequence as the cut is repaired. Scientists are using CRISPR to make drought-resistant corn, so it doesn't need water? <laughs> what does it grow with? Uh, reduced gluten wheat and tomatoes with easy-to-remove stems. Because you know how that's been a scourge on humanity. You just can't get those <laughs> stems out of those tomatoes. Uh, so anyway, that's what they're working on. They're saying it's going to be somewhat better. Anytime I see you know, uh, altering DNA and so on and so forth, I think, why don't we just leave it the way it was? Yeah, they're cutting into seeds here and letting, basically letting the cells... I guess heal it, but then the DNA changes automatically. It's just, it seems like a bit of an overreach, especially for things as trivial as, like you said, removing tomato stems easily. Maybe, maybe we need to think about that a little bit more and, and whether these things are actually helping, uh, probably they're trying to address pretty big issues. Like they mentioned with, uh, developing pesticide resistant or bug resistant plants that they, they have some pretty big issues because the farms that are producing these products are massive. Like they have to produce for thousands, thousands upon thousands of people on each farm, maybe even millions. So, so yeah, they don't want bugs eating up half of those crops because that could actually cause a, a massive food shortage. So obviously another solution to that would be to make a lot more farms and make them all a lot more smaller and manageable. Then you don't have to, have pesticides, then you don't have to worry about bugs eating them all because you can get to them faster and work with them uh, more effectively. So yeah, there are a lot of different ways to try to solve problems like this, but just getting into the chemicals and trying to uh, change DNA, that's just a wrong a wrong approach, a wrong solution. There, uh, uh, That would put all those big uh, chemical companies out of business, though. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah, they say as gene-edited foods move closer to supermarket shelves, shoppers' decisions will help determine the new technology's reach. One of the world's largest seed suppliers, DuPont, why, well, you know, why should DuPont be supplying seeds? <laughs> uh, plans this fall to sell a variety of CRISPR-edited corn to U.S. farmers that can be processed into salad dressings and other products. So you might keep your eyeball out. I don't know how you would know, but you could probably research it. A Minnesota-based startup, Calixt, uh, uh, Cal- is uh, marketing soybeans that have been gene-edited to produce uh, healthier vegetable oil, they think. So anyway, 
some of the products that you'll see in the grocery stores and you might not think much about, you know, a salad dressing or something like that. It's got a lot of stuff in it, including corn and so forth, and some of it's going to be genetically modified or gene edited. So, Yeah, I guess that is a lot to think about, and it, as if shopping didn't take long enough, if you have to examine the labels that closely, um, then it's going to definitely increase your amount of time spent in the store. Just just go ask the 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 person down the the row that's stocking the shelves. Hey, excuse me, is this does this have gene edited corn in it? I'm sure they'll have an answer for you. They know everything about that. Yeah, they experts. They, they really study up on those products <clears throat> to know what they're giving you. Uh, <laughs> what happened the other <laughs> week? We were uh, ordering out from a restaurant. And we were going to pick it up, and so uh, my wife had asked a couple of questions about what was in it, and they didn't even bother. They're like, "We have no idea." <laughs> so just move on. It's like whenever you uh, have some kind of meat dish, and you're asking, like, "Is there beef in this?" And they're like, "Yeah, if that's if that's what you want it to be." Or they'll they'll always say yeah. it's the meat that you are asking. So you b- basically have to say what meat is this so that they don't know what answer you're looking for <laughs> exactly yeah especially if you're uh looking to get sushi somewhere and uh the people making it you know uh oftentimes are uh asian and uh say what what's in this exactly and they'll they're kind of waiting for you to say well what you know what do you want it to be <laughs> <laughs> and uh <clears throat> i've had that that happen a time or two i said ah, i think i'll just i'll pass on that yeah like one time i i think i asked like there's no crab in the sushi right and they're like they're like, no, it is baked in crab oil, but you know, yeah. there's no crab in it. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I still don't want that either. <laughs> it's, it's it's entirely encased inside of crab meat, but, <laughs> but uh, inside of that, there's tuna. <laughs> the Daily Mail has this uh, related article: humans will be genetically modified for the first time in Europe as scientists get the go-ahead to use DNA splicing therapy to treat a blood disorder. So they're going to start manipulating the DNA of uh, human beings to apparently it's a blood disorder known as a beta thalassemia, and they think they can cure it by doing this. So anyway, uh, you know, once they start getting into the DNA, they're not getting into DNA, you know, and trying to figure out human DNA and other things just to say, hey, neat, look at that. They want to manipulate the DNA. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it makes you think of like scary movies or something, you know, where you're like, what happened to that person? You know, they had their DNA manipulated. Now they're 10 feet tall. And (laughs) (laughs) who knows? I don't know what'll all happen. But, uh, again, when they start messing around with, uh, what God created, it get, it can get pretty messy. And there's really two sides of this on the one hand, obviously it's pretty exciting that we have the ability to even think about doing things like that. But at the same time, uh, it is sort of just tampering with the natural, cycle of life uh you know a lot of a lot of especially end of life procedures they'll they'll continue your life but you'll definitely be miserable uh you, it won't be real life at all and we should be thinking that obviously is not a better outcome than death if we had just let it play its course uh god knows that death is better than a life where you're basically a vegetable for example yeah there's there's um, some interesting things like that I, Former First Lady, uh, I think it's Barbara Bush, right? She's mm-hmm. in her 90s now, and I saw some write-ups about her that she's got some health problems. She said she's done with going for treatment and all that. She just wants to be at home and be comfort comforted as much as possible. And uh, so people get to that point, you know, where they've lived a long life, but uh, they're they're done with all the all the procedures and things. Yeah, and a lot of people who want to prolong their lives probably just have a fear of what comes next and if everyone knew that there is a good future ahead for everyone 
maybe maybe they wouldn't be so quick to get on the life support machines and and whatnot. Yeah, it's tough. Those are tough situations. Um, here's one from the Guardian. Yet you, you you may not believe this, but then again you may. Canada's Liberal Party considers decriminalization of all illicit drugs. Like they want to do this for real. You think you think well they wouldn't do this, but who knows? With months left before Canada becomes the first country in the G7 to fully legalize marijuana, uh, so that'll be legal, I guess, everywhere, members of the country's Liberal Party, led federally by Justin Trudeau, are calling on their government to go one step further and decriminalize the possession and consumption of all illicit drugs. Can you imagine? The internal push is uh, to embrace the idea is one of the more than two dozen resolutions set to be debated this week as the political party gathers for their national convention in the East Coast city of Halifax. The resolution is one of three put forward by the National Caucus, suggesting widespread support among liberal MPs. They say it's one of the few federal or sorry, it's one of the few issues where we're taught from a young age that drugs are bad and that it's normal to throw people in jail for using drugs, says Nathaniel. Uh, Erskine Smith, a liberal MP. Uh, yet, he says, when you uh, actually start looking underneath those claims and at the actual evidence and hear from people who have studied or lived the issue, <laughs> this isn't the right approach. So I guess people that are on drugs don't think they should be criminalized. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's some of the ideas that they're trying to put forward. I don't know if it'll totally catch on, but it's heading that way. And can you imagine that type of a society where drugs are, I guess, illegal? I don't know. What do you do with people? They're just kind of out of their minds roaming around. Well, that seems like the entire strategy. That's why you'd want to have as many people on, as possible on drugs because they'll they'll vote for the leftist ideology. It, it It's almost like a society of people who can't get their own lives in order, so they turn to the government for help. And the government will provide welfare. They'll have facilities where they can administer the drugs for you um, in, in, in small, free dosages, apparently. Uh, it's just basically another blatant attempt for the left to stay in power. They, they just want to take advantage of people. They'll ruin your life, but it'll make their lives a lot better because they'll be in power and benefiting greatly from that. It's true. I mean, if you have one party that says, you know, we're going to let you do your drugs, and another one says no, then who are you going to vote for? <laughs> if you can figure out how to get to the polling station, right. I don't know. They say framing drug use as a criminal justice issue rather than one of health has simply served to fuel a lucrative black market, divert resources from law enforcement, and marginalize those who are often already on the margins of society, the uh, MP was arguing. So they don't want it to be a criminal justice issue. They want it to be a uh, health issue. Uh, you got a health problem. Well, yeah, um, you do, but it is uh, one of your own making. Like you decided to get involved in this illegal activity and cause yourself problems. And if you, I mean, you just look at the results of those types of lives. Even if it's not criminalized anymore, it doesn't do away with the hurt and the wrong and the damage that is done. You can't undo those types of things. I mean, person can live a horrible life out in the open as opposed to being forced to sort of clean up behind a jail cell, but it doesn't change the, all the problems that come with the drugs. You can't, you can't just say, well, we're going to change the law and therefore it won't be a problem anymore. The problems are all still there. And now, now they will explode if they do this because there'll be no restraint anymore. Well, yeah, the, taking away laws against drugs also usually takes away the stigma as well. So a lot of people who 
would never be daring enough to break the law to do drugs will now try it because apparently it's allowed. Apparently their own country condones it, so it should be fine. And they're going to find out pretty fast if they do that what the problems are from it. You can't just have a little bit of a drug and think you're going to be fine. It does alter the mind. You're not under control anymore. Uh, as opposed to a cigarette, you, you're going to obviously give yourself lung issues after a while, but uh, it, doesn't change your, it doesn't change your mind and cause you to do wild things. Same with alcohol. You can have a drink or two without chemically altering your mind and going wild. Even just a little bit of a drug will possibly ruin your life. You can't even af- afford a little bit of that. Well, what what happens? I mean, what who would want to go to one of those cities where you know it's just anybody can use drugs? You wouldn't want to go there. Uh, who who would make sure the streets were cleaned, or who would you know? There was a Trump a Daily Show uh, last week talking about San Francisco and some of the problems out there. Even though there's uh, an abundance of wealth in that city because of the homeless issues, and a lot of it's a drug issue, uh, it's like a third world country in parts of those cities. You know, it's like what. Well, are, who's going to decide, look, we're not going to be involved in drugs so we can be like the responsible people that cares for this group of people that are not able to function? Right. You know, and there may be the critic that says, oh, you can function on them. Well, no, you can't, not long term. And so who's who's going to who's going to clean the streets? I mean, who's going <laughs> to who's going to make sure that uh, the the uh, public, uh, you know, utilities are on? I mean, who's going to do these things that have to happen for a society to function if right. everyone's just on a drug? Right. And I mean, there are a lot of ways where a city will change very quickly as soon as you legalize drugs. I mean, I've been to L.A. and Seattle within the last couple of years and you walk into a certain area and you get hit in the face by a cloud of this like stinky odor that that's basically coming from marijuana. You have to endure the stench of it and and walk through the clouds of it that are in random spots around the city and you just see homeless people everywhere uh you see poorly discarded drugs or apparatuses for drugs lying around certain places it's not it's not good for anyone it ruins those people's lives it creates more addicts it makes the city an unpleasant and unsafe place to be you can't think of a single good thing that's happened. I mean, Denver's having a crisis now because they recently legalized it and are trying to either cut it back or completely uh, criminalize it again because of just how much worse their city has gotten ever since they enacted those laws. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, some of those ideas, like, say, universal income, making drugs normal. I mean, what kind of a what kind of a society is that? That's a really... Uh, obviously it doesn't end well. So um, that's from The Guardian. That's something they're thinking about doing up there in uh, Canada. So we'll see <laughs> see if that happens. And it just completely tears down any bit of character that we might have had left. I mean, that's those types of ideas, universal basic income, legalizing all drugs, they appeal to our most carnal nature. And it's like if you want to live a life without responsibility but also without any type of fulfillment except in drugs and except in the welfare checks well that's you're going to actually end up far more miserable even though on the surface it might seem nice i guess to some people well how quickly would a country like that be invaded and taken over i mean in minutes that's i mean there's sort of this idea like there will be some sort of group of responsible people that will actually keep you know, following laws and 
having a military and a police force, and then the rest of us will, you know, just fall into our <laughs> stupor. But, but that won't, that can't happen. I mean, you, who, you know, there are there are nice parts of uh, these different nations, the U.S. and Canada, where other countries could be like, you know, I think I want to take that over. Why wouldn't you just march on in there? Why wouldn't Russia do it? <laughs> you know, that that's sort of this. That, that's where like the one of the areas where the they just forget reality that you will be oh, if you weaken yourself to that point you're easy to be taken over by another power mm-hmm. why wouldn't they want to expand any nation would well especially because we have more blessings than anywhere else the u.s canada australia england uh by far the u.s of course above above the rest of those i just mentioned but uh any other country would love that because uh, I mean, if you look at russia for example vast expanses of their country are virtually uninhabitable so of course they would love to have a country like this where you literally get every bit of variety that you could ever imagine we have an island paradise in hawaii we have a state up in alaska where the sun never sets at certain times of the year i mean you could go anywhere you wanted whether you wanted cold or hot any type of resource you could imagine we have it here every every country would love to take advantage of that and so of course if we're not conscious enough to defend that wealth then a lot of people will gladly take it from us yeah if you look at a lot of the things that that liberals are uh supporting and others too you know and you kind of lump a few of them together from say canada and the u.s so you know we don't want any borders we just want bridges um a lot of people don't want any sort of guns <laughs> uh free drugs for all uh you're, it's just like one by one dismantling any sort of defense you would have in your nation against that outward attack. You know, build a bridge so they can all come on over, <laughs> and then we'll lay down all of our weapons, and then we'll be out of our minds on, on <laughs> drugs. Uh, they, anyone see these as problems? But I mean, if you start stacking up all those ideas that people are pushing for, and then of course the destruction of the family, so you've got all these problems with your military and the next generation. And yeah, it's it's a it's a really it's like if you pictured it as a uh, actual fort, and each one of those was a like a, a, a drawbridge or a, a door or something. He's dismantling it. Just take that door down and come on in, guys. Raid the castle because you have no defenses. Well, it is it is a stealth form of invasion, all these different ideas that are tearing down the country's families and morals and religious uh, value systems. I mean, in every way, even if you just look around in, in, in town or wherever you go, how many real men do you see anymore? Like real strong masculine men who aren't just brutish but also are you can tell are caring as well if you ever get to interact with them i mean there's not a whole lot of them left and there's especially not a not very many men who are going to take a very bold stand against evil which is a lot of what we're seeing in the news right now yeah it's a real crumbling of society uh one last note today the top story at the trumpet.com make sure you stop and check this out uh it's news from a while ago but it's a really good in-depth write-up about it uh, a Republican budget that makes Barack Obama proud. This is by uh, Trump at Daily Radio Show host Stephen Flurry. And he writes that at a time when America should be reducing its spending, Republicans have approved the largest budget ever. <clears throat> and so when we talk about threats to the United States in terms of you know military issues or other things, one of the biggest threats is just this massive debt that we're carrying. And, and it's just... It's just uh, absolutely huge and he has quite a bit to say about it in here that's really good to read but some of what was really interesting one of the parts is just some of the wasteful spending now this is a 2232 page bill 
And we were laughing before we came on the air because I said I just finally finished reading it all. <laughs> Which, of course, I didn't. <laughs> but uh, here are some of the things in that 2,232-page bill. Uh, $10 million for disadvantaged Egyptian students. Okay. Uh, $1 million for World Meteorological Organization. How come they only got a million? I'd be upset if I, you know, somebody else got 10, I got one. <laughs> right. <laughs> 10 million for the United Nations Environmental Programs. 12 million for scholarships for Lebanon. Uh, I don't, uh, yeah. 12 million in military funding for Vietnam. 20 million for Middle East Partnership Initiative Scholarship Program. 3.5 million in nutrition assistance to Laos. 15 million in developmental assistance to China. China needs uh, money from us to help. develop? <laughs> Let's buy some more treasury bonds. $15 million in, to study high obesity counties. <laughs> Just to watch them? <laughs> Just to look at it. There it is. <laughs> it looked like they're pretty heavy over there. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, those are just some of the things. We don't have money for any of these things, and that, that's what they're putting some of the money towards. Right, and um, President Trump obviously didn't have time to read it, neither did any of the lawmakers who worked so hard to get that passed. And really all you need to know is that the Democrats are happy about the spending because uh, they are always happy about spending other people's money as insanely as possible, which is exactly what this bill allows for. Yeah, it's really strange, too, because uh, uh, some of the politicians were talking about the fact that uh, now, finally, this self-imposed austerity uh, is is over and we can start spending again as if President Obama was austere in some way. <laughs> I mean, he spent so much money, and this is even more, and so, but I think, you know, with the politics of things, it's like, you know, scratch my back, scratch your back sort of thing. So, well, we want money for this, so but you give me money for that. And everybody wants to make sure they get a piece of the pie, and I mean, you can understand it uh, on a carnal human level. If you're sitting there and they're just handing stuff out, you'd say, well, why don't I get mine? Everybody wants their, their money for their, their programs, and uh, but there isn't any money to be had for it. And people, I don't know, they just, if you really stop and think, you know it can't go on, but I guess we just figure it's gone on this long. I guess it'll keep on plugging along the economy, that is. Well, and like you say, it's a good point, too, that, if there is money to be had, plenty of people or organizations are going to step forward with their hands out uh, to get some of that money. Uh, obviously, the problem is we're so far in the red, it's just beyond comprehension. You know, uh, stacks of $1 bills that would go four times past the moon. That's what our debt is. And it's getting much, the, the pile's getting much, much higher every day. And even even every minute, the debt goes up by a million dollars which is just <laughs> shocking when you look at that debt clock and see how fast all those numbers are moving. What are we what are we getting where are we getting the money from to actually pay for all these different things? These disadvantaged Egyptian students and scholarships for Lebanon and whatnot. Where does that money come from? And of all of all places, China. Why why are we helping them? Obviously a lot of this bill wasn't considered. It's just like spending money for the sake of spending money. Yeah. He has a quote in this article, this is Stephen Fleury again, and he says the average American citizen loves to accumulate debt just as much as his government does. It gets to be a personal level thing here too. We are addicted to it at every level of society. We are a nation focused on instant gratification, selfishness, and greed. And this explains why the wealthiest nation in history is still borrowing astronomical amounts of money. 
And I, I read a quote years ago I thought was pretty good, and um, <laughs> it can be kind of uh, convicting, I guess. But uh, the person said, you know, today people live every day like they're on vacation. Right. As far as their spending habits. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of true. <laughs> you know, I used to, years ago, people used to save up and then they'd have a nice vacation and, you know, they can go do something they wouldn't normally do. Go out to eat or I'm going to go to this or I'm going to go to that. And now people, every day is a vacation. Well, the credit card just opens up all these possibilities that we would have never even dreamed of until that existed. But you don't even have to have the money for it. You can just say, you can promise you'll pay it back later and not even have to follow through on that promise. And yet, we all know from experience or from hearing of other people's experiences that buying things on credit or using money that we shouldn't be using to to fund our entertainment it doesn't feel good right after it's over you you feel really guilty and you feel stressed about how you're going to pay that back but if you do save up and you you spend money that is actually meant to be spent you feel really good about it and you know that you did the right thing and obviously that does take some patience, though, which many of us do, just don't have anymore. Yeah, it takes some real character to do that. So there's some real good books about the just money, uh, how to solve your money troubles. It's there at thetrumpet.com. And uh, this this uh, top story on thetrumpet.com, a Republican budget that makes Barack Obama proud. It's one of those things <laughs> where it's easy to, to uh, read it and say, yeah, what are they doing in that country? And then it's like, you know, but people do that, too, in their individual lives. And then you say, oh, yeah, never mind that. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's, uh, it is a personal thing as well. So. Yeah, it's everybody's fault. You can't just blame the government for it. Yep, so... Anyway, bad habits uh, spread around. That's uh, at thetrumpet.com. That's all the time we have for today here on uh, Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for uh, being with us here on this uh, Monday. For uh, Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day. Listen for the Kia David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show coming up soon. We'll talk to you tomorrow. listening to Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG